Well, thank the Lord for gathering us here together this weekend. Amen. Uh, from so many things, uh, this weekend into Himself. Well, here we have uh, two, uh, four sessions uh, this weekend. We'd like to fellowship with you uh, this subject, uh, the one new man fulfilling God's purpose in creating man. This was the subject that we uh, covered uh, in the recent uh, ITERO, or the International Training for the uh, Responsible Elders and Responsible Ones in India. And we'd like to <clears throat> use these uh, four sessions to uh, fellowship with you uh, some of the crucial uh, points uh, uh, released in, those, in that training. And this matter of the one new man uh, is not entirely new uh, to us. Um, and uh, it was first uh, released by Brother Lee uh, 42 years ago in 1977. And uh, even after his passing away, uh, we had uh, a couple of attempts in the early 2000, uh, in a couple of the conferences, uh, we covered this subject. However, I feel um, as we are going into this subject this weekend, I'd like to give you a little opening word, um, even for the sake of record, uh, for so many young ones and new ones here among us. Uh, coming to such a word concerning the one new man. How blessed are our ears that we can hear these things. Uh, you know, when Brother Lee released this word back in uh, 1977, uh, some of the brothers were there, um, and uh, most of you were not. Uh, and, of course, the messages were put into print, and... Uh, uh, they are available. Some have read them. Some, so you have, uh, uh, received a certain amount of, uh, uh, uh you know, the enlightenment, the, uh, the, the, this revelation is tremendous. And I would say that probably, I don't know, Brother Ron can, cons- can, can confirm, before Brother Lee released this, this word, that word in, on the new man, I don't think there's ever in our, in the church history, ever been a release to on the new man to that degree. Even with Brother Nee. Brother Nee touched it a little bit. So that was, to me, was unprecedented. Um, you know, recently I talked up in the, on, on the internet who have spoken on the one new man. There was something about somebody spoke on the cross, uh, what Christ did, or the cross on the one new man for the racial reconciliation um, and uh, which is not too bad. They, at least they recognized that there was Christ did something on the cross to reconcile the racial uh, differences. And uh, uh, but that's about it. There was uh, in the last two thousand years, there's hardly any uh, Bible teachers that have touched this matter. And dear saints, this time when we were in India, I myself was greatly helped, greatly enlightened that uh, this is, the Lord has picked this time for him to uh, release, to release again this word to us. This is, uh, we are so privileged that uh, we are, we are here today <clears throat> that we can 
uh, hear these words uh, again. And uh, as I compare to 42 years ago, I was not there. My wife was there. Um, you know, I saw many pictures, and you know, that was taken then. Who were the ones who were there? And and uh, uh, it was it was uh, even at that time. Uh, when Brother Lee rele- released those messages, it was unprecedented. <clears throat> uh, there was a time Brother Lee brought 200 saints from the West, from U.S., uh, Europe, uh, to visit the Far East. So the Lord's recovery up to that point was still pretty much in the realm of the local churches. We're all practicing one city, one church, one church, one city. So we are happy, we are, we are encouraged to go on. But then we didn't realize that there is something more. Of course, there is something, we, we learned a little bit about the body of Christ, the corporate aspect. But when this matter of the one new man was presented, and especially with uh, saints from all over the world, came together there in tai, tai, Taipei, and all the saints were so excited. All the colors, they're not only the yellow, they were the white, they were the bl- black and the red, maybe some, they were the, they were all colors there. Brother Lee also was, were, was very excited. He called all these, uh, uh, nationalities, races of people, went up to the stage and displayed all the colors we have in the Lord's recovery. And all the saints were just beside themselves. They were just so excited. This is, wow, this is the, the, the lost recovery. The body of Christ is not just, uh, you know, one kind of people in my locality, but it's look at all the colors and covering all the earth. <clears throat> well, dear saints, that was, uh, indeed, that was something, uh, but that was just a very tiny speck of this matter of the one new man. The one new man is not about the multinationalism uh, and uh, multiculturalism, uh, and uh, so many people can come together. Um, in these last 42 years, the Lord brought us through many, many situations. You know, in that year, uh, as exciting as it was, in 1977, uh, the revelation was released, but the following year, the Lost Recovery experienced one of the biggest rebellion in this country in 1978. The one who, who professed to be, who uh, offered himself to be the universal coordinator of the one new man, he rebelled, he dissented. So everything that he saw that was seen was something outward, something on the surface. And... <clears throat> And since 78, the Lord led the ministry to go in a, a I would say, a deeper direction. If you remember the, the, the saints into the 80s, when Brother Lee went to, Taiwan, uh, went to Germany, releasing the messages concerning the divine dispensing, God's economy, New Testament economy, and... Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, into the 90s, God's full salvation, the organic salvation, the, uh, the incorporation of God and man, eventually reaching the highest peak of God became man so that man may become God. Dear brothers and sisters, as I look back, that uh, without 
those years of uh, allowing Brother Lee to release these deeper messages, we would never be positioned to understand what he spoke in 1977. I thank the Lord for seeing much more of the intrinsic reality of the body of Christ, right? Uh, through the years, now we see the body of Christ is just Christ himself, right? Through and through, and uh, the reality of the body of Christ is not just a... Uh, uh, gathering of people, it must be Christ himself wrought into us and saturating us. And uh, our even our reaching, our seeing the high peak revelation <clears throat> of God becoming man, that man may become God in life and nature, is all so that to help us to see what the one new man is. Well, you may still not see this yet. Well, you know, it will be help to see. Without all that, all these years of the Lord speaking, we will not be here today to understand this word. And I would say also, uh, beside the Lord's ministry advancing, helping us to see so many intrinsic matters concerning the church, the body of Christ, that in these last 42 years, the Lord has cleared up many situations among us in the Lord's recovery. When Brother Lee was uh, releasing these words in 1977, although the word was high, but there were still many ambitious ones, ambitious ones trying to do his own work and having their own region, and the situation was not fully cleared, cleared up until after 2005, 2006 in the era. So even when we repeated these messages in the early 2000, in one of the, in a couple of the feasts, the churches were not able to fully enter into that because still there were many regional work going on among us. Even here in the, in America, right? Not only between the East and the West, but even within our country, there are many, there are still a number of regions, workers doing their work within their region, for their region. How can we have the one new man if we still remain in our own localism or regionalism? The new man is not local. The new man is not regional. The new man is universal. Amen. So even after Brother Lee passed away, in these last, it took the Lord, uh, the Lord how many years to clear up all these situations? And I would say, saints, today, the, in, before the, uh, the Lord's recovery, there is a clear highway for us to go forward. Amen. Not only that, but also in these last uh, uh, 22 years since Brother Lee passed away, was well, since, since uh, uh, 1997, well, the churches have been practicing blending together seven times a year. Praise the Lord for the seven feasts. Well, in a couple of weeks, we'll be in Houston. That will be our, what, 154th, uh, something like that, 22 times 7. 
uh, we've been blending just uh, time after time. Well, thank the, the, all the airline companies thank us very much for all their, <laughs> for our patronage, right? But I tell you, it's worth it. You know, in these 22 years, the saints have picked up a taste of blending. Amen. Saints are crisscrossing ocean landmasses to be with one another. I mean, it's just overcoming all the barriers. 42 years ago, it was not, it was not there. But today, that's, you know, saints are, you know, not only the co-workers, but also just the saints. I, I was just, uh, I just came, came back from Ethiopia a couple, a couple of weeks ago, and we had a, uh, first time ever, uh, all Africa serving one's blending conference. First time ever. I mean, it's uh, when 24 years ago, when Brother Lee sent Dick Taylor and I were to go to Africa, there were, we, there were only four countries that was, uh, they were the Lord's testimony. And now, there are over, there are 28 countries the Lord's recovery has spread to. 21 countries have the Lord's table, have churches, lampstands. More than half of the countries the Lord has spread to. And these brothers from the north, from Cairo, Egypt, in the south and southern Africa, from the east, from the west, all came together for three days in Ethiopia. And I tell you, there was just an unprecedented time. And, uh, you know, the, the, the saints are just, uh, you know, you're talking about regionalism, right? In Africa, every, every, every man wants to have his own region, right? He has, uh, every man wants to be the chief, the chief of the, of the tribe. And, uh, but, oh, this time when all the brothers came together, there was just the oneness, the harmony, we are all, we are not doing an East Africa work, West Africa work. We are doing just one work. Amen. The new man work. And even, uh, not only the blending, but also the spreading of the Lord's recovery in these last, uh, as I would say probably, uh, within the last maybe 15, 15 years or so, uh, the Lord's recovery has spread to so many places. When we were in India, the brothers in the Lord's Move in Asia reported to us, out of 46 Asian countries, uh, 32 countries now have the Lord's testimony. And, I mean, that's including many of the, in the, in the Arabic-speaking world, right? In, the, in, in Oman, in uh, Saudi Arabia, in many of the countries, we never thought of that the gospel can reach there. Now we have the Lord's testimony, in these uh, Arabic-speaking countries. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. So the Lord is uh, spreading in an unprecedented way. Saints are blending with one another. Also, I, I forgot to mention, you know, when, in, when I was in Ethiopia, not only the brothers uh, from all parts of Africa came, there were ten brothers from China came. You know what? In the world, China had to do with Africa, right? <laughs> you know, the Lord sent African students to study in China. And in these last four or five years, the saints there have been laboring, the saints in China laboring on the African students. And there are over 500 African students already in the church life in China. 
And so they are, they are shepherding more than 2,500 African students. So they just realized they are not doing a China work. They are doing the body's work, the new man's work. So they flew all the way to Africa to first to shepherd some of the students who returned back to Africa. I don't know, you have, have our shepherding gone to that degree yet? You know, we go down the highway, 10 minutes, 50, half an hour to shepherd someone. They flew thousands of miles to come to Africa. And this brother in particular, I was, he cannot understand English. He cannot speak English. Even his Chinese, I cannot understand that well. <laughs> but he has a heart to shepherd these African students. He came all the way to shepherd these students. And then he came to blend with us because he realized that they are not doing there to do a work for for wow. China. Amen. They are just doing a body's work. Because eventually they realize all these African students will return to, to Africa and uh, they, they wanted them to be the remaining fruits in the churches in Africa. Amen. Actually, they are, they are touching more countries there in China than what we are touching in Africa itself. They are, they are touching, shepherding students from 44 countries in China. They are from 44 of the African countries. We only cover about 28 countries. So, saints, this is, this is a new, it's a new, new, new age. The Lord is spreading and moving in such an unprecedented way. And also, I will say that the, uh, uh, now, uh, on this, all six continents, we have 18 full-time training centers covering all continents, all the major continents of the earth. In other words, bringing all our young people to be brought to the present truth, <clears throat> the, uh, to come to be, the, to be perfected, to be trained, uh, to learn of the Lord's present truth. And this is significant, right? What the Lord is doing all over the earth. In America, of course, we know FDTA, <clears throat> we have over 4,000 young people pass through the full-time training in, in, in here in America, and I don't know what is the number if you add up all the, from all the countries. That itself is, is presenting quite an impact to presenting a new situation in the Lord's recovery. So, in, we need these 42 years to come to this point, to now get into these messages. Brother Lee was way ahead of his time when he spoke that word. 42 years ago. But anyway, the Lord's revelation is the Lord's revelation. That has to be released. But then, it took 42 years for us to be prepared, for us to be made ready to enter into uh, this speaking. And I, I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, this, if, if any, any time is the, is any time the right time, today, this time is the right time. This time is the golden time for the Lord to realize this matter of the one new man. And we'll see from these messages how crucial this matter of the one new man is. <clears throat> the first, uh, this, this first message is titled, God's Eternal Purpose and the One New Man. The one new man is not 
just something uh, revealed, mentioned by Paul. It was something actually hidden in the very heart of God. According to his eternal purpose, and is manifested in his creation, in his creation of man in Genesis. So we need to have a very clear seeing and even a convicting, a seeing that God's eternal purpose is altogether for his gaining this one new man. First point says the eternal purpose, the purpose of the ages, is the eternal plan that God made in eternity past. Our God is a God of purpose. He does everything with a purpose in view. Even the work of his creation, recorded in Genesis 1 and 2, it was not a work in random that God just wanted to do this, do that, because uh, there seemed to be a need here, fill the void here. No. You have to believe our God is a God of purpose. And his purpose is eternal. Stretches from eternity to eternity. His purpose is much higher than your purpose, my purpose. His purpose is eternal in nature. He says the purpose of God in the universe is to produce a group of people who will be exactly the same as he is. This is the unique subject of the Bible. I wish, I would like you to really, to uh, even pray over a point like this. If someone were to ask me 30 years ago, what is God's eternal purpose? I would not have answered in this way. I would have probably answered, yes, God's eternal purpose It's for him to gain a group of people who loves him, who is consecrated to him, who are built up together with him, to cooperate with him. It's not bad, right? That was the vision I saw concerning God's eternal purpose years ago. But this time, from this point of this outline, telling us that the eternal purpose of God is to produce a group of people who will be exactly the same as he is. God's purpose is not just to gain some people who are zealous, who are consecrated, who are absolute, who are even built up together. God is desirous to gain a group of people who are exactly the same as he is. This is God's eternal purpose. God wants to gain a duplication of himself. God is not just looking to gain someone who can render him cooperation, render him to to work with him. He wants a duplication. He wants some he wants to gain a group of people to be exactly the same as he is. Of course, in life and nature, not in the godhead. This is a unique subject of the Bible. In life, nature, image, appearance, radiance, glory, and outward expression, they will be the same as God. Amen. This is what the 
the Bible tells us. What is what is so special about the creation of man? You know this. Uh, this time, I I was struck by this title, especially in the la- the last three words. This general subject in creating man. We are, you know, we have been very much uh, touched with God's eternal purpose, the fulfillment of His purpose. But what is that purpose about? That purpose actually was clearly revealed there in Genesis 1 and 2, particularly in his creating of man. We should not belittle the matter of creation. I know with me, I did not, I did not, uh, you know, really highlight or emphasize the matter of creation. Uh, there was just a, a beginning. And that is just something outward. But this time I realize God's creation, and particularly in his creation of man, actually marks, it just, uh, it, it opens up, opens up to us his desire, his heart's intention of what he wants to do in this universe. If we have eyes to see that in that creation of man, we see God's eternal purpose, what he wants to gain from the very beginning. So he wants to gain a group of people the same as he is in life, nature, image, expression, radiance, glory, outward expression, in every way the same as he is. As we go to the last book of the Bible in Revelation, we see that in chapter 4, the one describing the one on the throne, who is God, he appears like Jasper. And then in chapter 21, describing the appearance of the, new, of the city, New Jerusalem, full of the glory of God, it also appears like Jasper. The one sitting on the throne appears like Jasper. And the entire city of the New Jerusalem appears also like Jasper. At the end of God's work of 6,000 years among his people, the ultimate product is that God and man look the same. God looked like Jasper. Man also looks like Jasper. Man becomes the same as God is in life and in nature. Number two says, God's purpose is accomplished by the divine life dispensed into his chosen and redeemed people. As God's life is wrought into his people, a metabolic reaction takes place within them that causes them to be transformed and become the same as God. The way that God used to attain to this purpose, making us the same as He is, to gain a group of people the same as He is, is by dispensing His life into us. I never was so impressed with this matter of the divine life as this time. 
The divine life of God is not just merely some organic element that has entered into us, that enlivens us, right? This is true. But we have to realize and remember that this life is not just merely something living, something organic. This is the very life of God, the life of a person. Actually, according to 1 John 5, we're told that he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the life of the Son of God does not have the life. As far as God is concerned, that life, his life, is equivalent to the person of Christ. When we receive the life of God into us, we did not just receive some enlivening element that enlivened our deadened spirit, but now the life of another person has come in. The life of another person with his characteristic, with his nature, has come into us. This is not just merely something that makes me alive, makes me living. Now this life is making me looking like God. Because this is His life. This is a life of a person. So, after this life came in to us, at the time of our regeneration, this life began to operate. To what? To cause a transformation. Transformation is a metabolic process to, is a reaction, metabolic reaction that takes place within us. Saints, there is such a thing called transformation. It's not just something, it's just not merely to be made alive only. We are undergoing a process of transformation. And even in the Bible, in the New Testament, we are told there is a following transformation. There is a process called conformation. That we all shall be conformed to the image of His Son. If God's, if God's purpose is merely to save sinners, rescue us from hell, from condemnation, from God's judgment, if that's all there is, That is simple. There's no need of transformation. There's no need of confirmation. But God's purpose is much, much more than just to redeem us, just to save us from all the troubles. God wants to gain a man exactly the same as he is. He dispenses his life into us. Not just any kind of life, but his own life. Every life carries a kind of gene carries a kind of nature, carries a kind of characteristic. When God's life comes in, that life causes a reaction, a metabolic reaction to take place in us, to transform us, and eventually to conform us. Confirmation means what? Confirmation is to make us the same. Conform. We all are conformed to the image of God's firstborn son. So that's why in 1 John chapter 3, we are told that when he shall appear, when Christ shall return, we all shall be like him. I will exactly look like Dexter. Dexter looks like Christ. We all will look like him. Hallelujah, Joe. This is our hope of glory. Right? 
There's no Chinese, no American, no Korean. I tell you, because we all will look like Christ. Amen. This is what God's salvation, the His life coming into us to cause transformation and then confirmation within us to make us the same as God. Now, point B says, man is a great word in the Bible. God's intention is with man. God's thought is focused on man. And God's heart is set upon man. Praise the Lord that I am a man. Sisters, you have to say the same thing. Don't say I'm a woman. You are a man. In God's eyes, whether male or female, we are all man. Man created in his image, according to his likeness. God's interest is not, does not lie with angels. Although they seem to be so superior, so transcendent, but God's purpose is not with them. God's purpose is with man. Man is God's delight. Man is where God's thought is focused. We don't understand fully, but surely the Bible tells us God and man have a very close relationship. So, the eternal purpose of God is altogether wrapped up with God gaining man, right? His uh, working with man. God's heart is set on man. You know, Psalm, Psalm 8 is a good psalm that tells us, the psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you visit him. You made him a little lower than the angels. In one sense, we are lower than the angels. But you, this, this man, <clears throat> that lower than the angel, you have exalted him, right? That refers to, firstly, the man, Jesus Christ, as the second man. But also, the man, the corporate man, the new man that Christ created on the cross. God's thought is all together with this man. Number two says, it is man who fulfills God's plan. It is man who expresses God. It is man who defeats God's enemy. And it is man who brings the kingdom of God into the human race. God did not delegate this responsibility to the angels. God gave this responsibility to man. It's man who will defeat Satan. It is man who will bring in God's kingdom. It is true man. It is man who will fulfill God's plan. And then number three, man is the means of God's manifestation. Man is the means of God's move. And man is the means of God's administration. We see this clearly in Ezekiel. Which tells us that the one who sits on the throne, he has, he has the likeness what? Of what? Of a man. Sometimes I, I ask the question, Lord, 
Does man look like you or you look like man? What is it? It seems that in my, in my reading of the Bible, there are many of these instances telling us that you look like man. The one who sits on the throne, his appearance is man. Man is the means for God to carry out his administration. Man is the means for God to, mani- to manifest himself. Even in the Old Testament, numerous times, God came to visit Abraham, for instance. He appeared like a man. He appeared to, he, he, he didn't appear. He didn't come as a lion. He didn't come as a, uh, as a, as a, I don't know, as a what? As a gorilla or whatever it was just. He came as a man. Just like one of us. Of course, no one, no one can tell exactly what God looks like. But surely, from reading the word, then based on how man was created according to image of God and likeness of God, we can say God has, God looks like man. This is how, if we look at man, we can have some idea. How God looks like. He manifested himself to man as a man. And he administrates on his throne as a man. And he moves. In Ezekiel, we have the four living creatures. Each one has four faces. Right, The primary face is that of a man. You have a lion, you have the ox, you have the eagle. But the primary face was a man. So... And these four living creatures, they were moving back and forth along with this great will of God to afford God to move, to carry out his move on this earth. God's move is carried out not by angels, but through man. Man is the means for God to, for God move, for God to move. So she says the eternal purpose of God is to have a corporate man to express him and to represent him. This was God's purpose in creating man. So the man he God created in Genesis 1 was not an individual person, Adam. Actually, that Adam was a corporate person. He includes all of us, the entire human race. <clears throat> That's why in Genesis 5 verses 1 and 2, Mentioning the uh, the generation of uh, of Adam, then you have Adam, and uh, you have Adam and Eve, and then <clears throat> and it's, it says what they uh, their name shall be called Adam, their name. So Adam is not referring to just one individual person, but is a corporate person called Adam. <clears throat> okay, now we come to the second point. Shall we read together? Roman numeral two. Let us I hope we'll never tie, get tired of reading this verse. I know memory get it memorized, but don't take for granted just because you can memorize it, you know what it is, what it means. Let us make man. Oh, what a, what a, 
what a, how pleasant, what a, how, how, how wonderful, how sweet it sounds when God says, let us make man. You know, if you read Genesis 1, <clears throat> in the, uh, in those first five days, in God created, uh, the, uh, the earth, the recovered earth, <clears throat> he says, let God, let there be light, right? And there was light. And let the waters be separated. And let the earth bring forth the cattle. Let the, let the water bring forth the, bring forth the, 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 the fish. And let the, the birds, you know, multiply. Let them, let them be. Let them, let this happen. Let that happen. And after the five days, on the sixth day, God says, let us do something. Instead of just, let it be, let it happen, let it happen. It seems that as he spoke, it stood, right? And he said, there it was. Everything came into being by God's word. But not so at the creation, with the creation of man. On the sixth day, with the conference that God held among the, among the Godhead, that God said, okay, after our conference, we made the decision, a deliberate decision, let us make man. It is altogether different from the other creatures, from creating the other things. The Bible just says, let that be, let that be, let that be. But when it comes to the creation of man, it was very definite, it was very deliberate, and it involves God himself doing something. God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. He says in the Bible, there is a mysterious thought concerning the relationship between God and man in the Bible. It is true. I think it is worthwhile for us to take a little time to think about this relationship between God and man revealed in the Bible. As I said, what does God look like? Does God look like man? Does man look like God? This is a, it's a, uh, how come there seems to be many indications that God and man are just, they are just like this. Well, indeed, man was made in his own image and according to his own likeness. When the Bible says, let us make man in our image. You know the man, the word for man in Hebrew is Adam. Adam, which means red clay. So in other words, that, that verse actually says, God says, let us make red clay in our image. Right? When we were, when we were kids, we like to, we play with Play-Doh, right? We have made clay figures, right? In the figure of a, of a lion, a figure of a monkey or whatever. So now in the, there in Genesis 1, God seems to be playing with Play-Doh. <laughs> now let us make some red clay in our image, according to our likeness. Saints, this is, this, this, there is a deep thought in the Bible. Revealing to us what is, what was actually God thinking when He was doing this? What was He trying to do? As He was bringing about all the different things, it was not that, uh, 
it, it was not that detailed, but when it came to the matter of, crea- of, of, of creating man, he, there was something <clears throat> very detailed, very specific. Let us make red clay. And sure enough, we all came from clay, right? We all put together from the dust of the ground. And Jehovah breathed his breath of life into the nostril of this clay person, clay figure. And man became a living soul. Man was made in God's image and according to his likeness. So man was just clay containing containing in the image of God, right? He looks just like God. God's desire is to become the same as man is and to make man the same as he is. So, what we see here in Genesis 126 is this wonderful thought that God... His desire is to become the same as we are and also for us to become the same as he is. God and man, man and God are just the same. You know, of course you are, you know, when we talk, come, when we were in the high peak truth, you, you learn about this, God became man. But now you see how this high peak truth is related to the one new man. That one new man is not just a racial reconciled body. That one new man is just God himself. Exactly the same as he is. This was, this was what God intended to gain when he created man. The number two says God's intention is to work himself in Christ into us, making himself <clears throat> the same as we are and making us the same as he is. Ephesians 3, 17 tells us, Christ wants to make his home in our heart. And what does that mean? That means he wants to become the host. He wants to settle in our heart. He doesn't want to just visit us once in a while. He is. He wants to take possession of our inward parts, of our being, so that our thoughts will reflect his thoughts. Our emotion reflects his emotion. This is what it means by God gaining a man the same as he is. Now B says, let us make man, reveals that a council was held among the three of the Godhead regarding the creation of man. One, the decision to create man was made in eternity past, indicating that the creation of man was for the eternal purpose of the triune God. So the creation of man was not a temporary thought. It was an eternal, it's according to the eternal purpose of God. God in eternity past, he already intended to gain such a corporate man in his image and likeness. And number two, God's intention in creating man was to carry out his divine economy for the dispensing of himself into man. And and point C, God created man in his own image 
according to his own likeness. <clears throat> Many Bible readers know the image here refers to something inward. The likeness refers to something outward. And in the New Testament, there are two places that tells us what the image of God is. This is in Colossians 1.15 and also in 2 Corinthians 4.4. Both verses clearly tell us that Christ is the image of God. Christ is the image of the invisible God. How can an invisible God have an image? Right? God is invisible. How can he have an image? Well, here the Bible tells us clearly, Christ is the image of the invisible God. Implying that Christ came to express all that the Father is in all his divine attributes. When Christ lived that way, he was the very expression, he was the very image of this invisible God. Yes, God himself is invisible, yet he has, this God has certain attributes. His being love, his being light, his being holiness, his being righteousness. All these attributes within God, although unknown to man, unseen by man, Yet one day, when Jesus Christ came, he expressed this invisible God. Amen. As he says in John 1.18, No man has ever seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So when you see how Jesus lived, you see, how the, you see this very invisible God practically expressed in humanity. God's love, God's life, God's kindness, God's righteousness were being expressed as the virtues lived out by the man Jesus. So Christ is the image of the invisible God. So we are told here, man was made in that image. Man was made in the image. That means man was made in the image of Christ, according to Christ. So, <clears throat> uh, okay, now we go on to the next point, sub-point one. God's image, referring to God's inner being, is the expression of the inward essence of God's attributes, the most prominent of which are love, light, holiness, and righteousness. God has many, many attributes. One, some, somewhere in the ministry also says, when you add up all these attributes of God, that equals God. When you add up all the attributes, the sum total is God himself. God is life, God is light, God is kindness, God is righteousness, God is... All these attributes add up to God together, that is God himself. <clears throat> this image refer to God's inner being, is the expression of the inward essence of God's attributes. <clears throat> so man was created in this image of God, just like a glove. 
made in the image of a hand, right? So, the hand, the, the glove looks like the, the hand, but it does not have the content of the hand until the hand gets in there. So before we believe in, into Christ, we were men created in God's image. We have God's attributes created in our, in, in our, in, in our, in our human life. We have the capacity to contain all that God is. And that does not happen until the day we receive the Lord into us. He is the reality of the hand. The hand now comes in to fill the glove. Now, for the first time, as a Christian, we know what love is. We know what kindness is. Our human love, human kindness was okay, but it's just an empty finger. Just an empty shell. Until Christ came in, He is the reality of love. He is the reality of light, of love, and life, and righteousness, and so forth. So He is the one who fills us to be the reality, to be lived out as our human virtues. So man was created in the image of God with the capacity to receive, to contain all of God's divine attributes. The number two, God's likeness, referring to God's form, is the expression of the essence and nature of God's person. I know these terms are all quite technical, um, you know, initially, but you just need to pray them back to the Lord concerning what is the inward essence, what is the, the expression of the essence and nature of God's person, right? And the Spirit will reveal this to you. For many times, for a long time actually, I, I equated uh, likeness to appearance. Actually, likeness is not exactly appearance. Likeness is an expression of the inward essence and nature. The image is invisible. Huh? God's attributes within is invisible. But yet, the likeness is the expressed, expressed essence and nature of God's person. I mean, there you have to go to Philippians uh, chapter 2 to, uh, when talking about when Christ came, he put aside the form of God. He laid aside the form of God. Did not consider himself equal with God as something to be grasped. Then he put on the form of a slave. That form, and there is a, the uh, <clears throat> there are three words used there, used there in Philippians two. There is a form, there is a likeness, and there is a fashion. They are not all the same, right? I don't have the time this evening to get into that, but you have to study that uh, on your own and read the footnotes. It's very the the Bible is very specific. That the form there is the, and the likeness here actually re, is referring to the form. The form is not exactly the, the semblance, but it's more the, the, the status. Christ put aside his form of God, the status of God, to put on the form of a slave, right? His appearance is, 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 is still the same. 
but his form he put aside. Okay, so we have, we were human beings, men were made in God's image, and also according to God's form, God's likeness. Number three, God created man to be a duplication of himself, so that man may have the capacity to contain God and express him. Saints, we are men who have the capacity to contain God and to express God. Don't ever believe the thought, oh, men are like monkeys. Even if monkeys look very similar to men, men cannot ex- monkeys cannot express God. Don't be fooled by that kind of uh, talk. No, man, having God's image and likeness, implying that man has the capacity to contain God and to express God. Money, monkey cannot. Right? The, uh, no animals have that capacity. Only man has that capacity. Because only man has was made in God's image and likeness. <clears throat> now point D, God created man in, in his image and according to his likeness because he, his intention is to come into man and to be one with man. Here's the glove created in the image of the hand, ready to receive the hand, right, to fit into that glove. God made us this way so that to prepare man one day to receive him into him. E, God created man in his own image so that through his economy, man may receive his life and nature and thereby become his expression. Because we were created according to God's kind, our human virtues have the capacity to contain the divine attributes. And number two, for God to create man in his image means that God created man with the intention that man would become a duplicate of God, the reproduction of God for his corporate expression. This reproduction makes God happy because it looks like him, speaks like him, and lives like him. I really like you to be impressed with this. This creation story, which, you know, which we all seem apparently are familiar with, contains the deepest thought in the Bible concerning God's heart's desire. He wants to gain a duplication of himself. Man, made of clay, he put together this red clay and breathed into him the nostrils, the breath of life, who are these men? These are they, these men are just red clay with God's breath inside. Man is not another creature. Man is not another species. Man is just red clay with God's breath inside. And when that happened, man became a living soul. And man is is exactly the same as God. So from what God is doing there in Genesis one is that he is, from the from very beginning, he is he desires to gain this entity called man, the corporate man, to be a duplication of himself in a corporate way. He wants to fill the whole earth with himself. Right? He blessed them that you'll be fruitful, you'll fill the whole earth. He wants the whole earth to be filled with not human, human beings, but with himself. Man... 
in God's image and with God's likeness. That means having the capacity to contain God and to express God. Only man can do this, right? Because man has God's image. And God delights in this man. When God sees such a man, he was happy, right? After, that's why after the six, after he created man on the sixth day, he said, it is very good. It is very good. It's so satisfying to gain, now finally, my duplication. I told, I think Brother Lee had, a, had this uh, <clears throat> message that he spoke to the graduating trainees one, one year. The title is, Participating in God's Divinity. Right? We repeated that message every couple of years to the trainees. I mean, it didn't, it, initially, it didn't, it didn't mean that much to me. A very simple outline that man can partake of God's divinity. So in God's eternal purpose, God desires that man would be exactly like him. Man can partake of not just his life, but now his nature, his divinity. Man has the capacity to contain, to express God's attributes and to live him out as God, as our virtues. This is what it means by man having God's image and having God's likeness. This makes God happy. Okay, now we come to Roman numeral three. Let's all read also together. The second part of God's creating of, creation of man is that man would be given his dominion to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. This touches <clears throat> the negative side of God's purpose, which tells us that in this universe, God has an enemy, Satan, who is causing trouble all the time always uh, uh, frustrating, opposing what God is doing. So God as the creator, he will not do, try to deal with this creature by himself. <clears throat> he wants another creature <clears throat> to deal with him. That's why he needed man, on the one hand, with his image and likeness to express him, but also now having his dominion, and his authority to deal with this evil one, this enemy, Satan. He says, God's intention in giving man dominion is to subdue God's enemy, Satan, who rebelled against God. The creeping things that creep upon the earth typify Satan, the serpent, and his angels, as well as the demons who follow Satan. As man, brothers and sisters, we have not only God's image, having the capacity to receive God's attributes, we also have God's dominion to rule and reign for God, to deal with God's enemy. God did not give this dominion to angels. God gives this dominion to man. So we have, as man, 
we have this responsibility to exercise this dominion to deal with Satan. We should not be afraid of Satan. Satan should be afraid of us. If we see what the proper position of a man is in God's purpose. Even sometimes, you know, maybe in our prayer, we, we express, oh, we, <clears throat> it seems like we are, we are more afraid of Satan. We are, oh, Satan is doing all these, doing a havoc, doing a, a job on us in our situation, my family life, my job. And then we are just trying to, trying to hide, trying to run away. I can't handle it anymore. If you see that we are the man God created, right, in Genesis, with his image, and also given his dominion. Man has his dominion to deal with Satan, the evil one. Of course, we cannot do this in our, by our natural life, by our fallen self. But we, have to, we need to have this vision. God needs man to carry out his execution, to exec- his authority to deal with Satan. Who is going to do this? God will not do it himself. And the angels cannot do this. Only man can do this. And who, where is the man who is willing to do this? This is why, saints, at the end of this age, the Lord is speaking to us. He must gain this one new man. He created the one new man 2,000 years ago on the cross. But yet we have not seen it. We have not experienced it. Because of so many situations. But now, the Lord has brought us through so many things to bring us to this point. where the golden time to enter into the reality and the practicality of the one new man. God must gain a corporate man who can deal with his enemy, Satan. It is man who will defeat Satan. Who will cast him down to the earth. Like the man-child in Revelation 12. We cannot wait for angels to do this. Angels cannot do this. Only man is qualified to do this. Number two, subdue in Genesis one twenty eight replies that a war is raging on the earth between God and his enemy Satan. Whoever gains the earth will have the victory. God has a problem, and this problem is Satan. The archangel who rebelled against God and became his enemy in the universe and especially on the earth. Can you believe that God has a problem? Right? We never thought that God has, God has, he has no problem. No. God does have a problem. But how he, how he faces these problems, how he treats these problems is, is different from the way we, we face these problems. God has this problem. His problem mainly is with this evil one, Satan. And <clears throat> there is a warfare that is raging. And Satan is rampant these days. I don't know how you feel, brother. I, these days I feel Satan is more rampant than ever before. The things that he is spreading, the things that he is doing, is, is, he is lawless. Oh, I, I, you know, anyway, I, I don't want to, to say too much, but I believe you know. You look at the world situation. Look at the policy, politics. Look at the, the, the social situation in the world. 
you think in Hong Kong, for instance, lawlessness, all the rebellion, all the turmoil, you think it's because of the Hong Kong people? There is a there is someone behind the scene. Satan is stirring up all these troubles. There's a warfare raging in the heavenlies. You may not see it with your naked eyes. But here here and there we are hearing some news. We are seeing some situation. You're hearing about these teenage suicides. It's becoming more 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 common. Do you think it's just oh this is just this age this is just this happening? Satan is rampant. There's a warfare raging, and unless there is such a man to rise up to exercise that authority, Satan will just have his heyday. There has to be God needs a man to exercise his dominion. That's why this burden on the one new man is so heavy. Although it was released 42 years ago, but we were not ready then. But thank the Lord, today we are ready. I have to say, we are ready to enter into this word. And for this word to be realized and practically ushered in. There is this possibility, saints, the, the whole earth, the whole earth, all the saints, all the churches can be brought into the reality of the one new man. Amen. It wasn't there 42 years ago. Today, we can see it's emerging. Now, in order to subdue his enemy and thus solve his problem, God gave man authority to rule over all things created by God. <clears throat> man especially must rule over the earth and even subdue the earth because the earth has been usurped by God's rebellious enemy. <clears throat> we should not think that <clears throat> the government is only on the shoulders of the politicians, the decision, all the uh, <clears throat> the world rulers. Actually, it is upon our shoulders. How we look at the situation, how we pray, how we exercise the Lord's authority to bind and to lose. For us, for the church to come together to pray, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth, here in the USA. In this country, you raise up for your purpose. We don't agree with all this violence, with all this lawlessness. Not just to pray for your own spiritual welfare, for your own spirituality only, but pray for God's interest. God needs a man to exercise his authority. That's number four. God needs men to exercise his authority over all the creeping things, and God needs men to subdue and conquer the rebellious earth <clears throat> so that God may recover the earth for his kingdom. Okay, B says, God's intention in giving men dominion is to recover the earth. This is the second aspect of God's intention of giving man a dominion. To not only to subdue his enemy Satan, but to recover this earth. God created man with his intent, with the intention of recovering the earth for himself. The earth belongs to the Lord. 
In Genesis 1, when God created this, the heavens and the earth, the earth was wonderful. The earth was a beautiful place. But it's because of the enemy's usurpation, <clears throat> the whole earth is spoiled. Today, the earth is filled with violence, filled with lawlessness, filled with immorality. Nowhere is safe to live. This earth, that's where God's kingdom will be established. <clears throat> this earth needs to be recovered. Amen. Needs to be cleaned up, recovered back to God's rule. Man was created by God to have dominion over the earth, to subdue it, to conquer it, and thereby recover the earth for God. God wants to regain the earth. The earth has become a crucial place, a place that Satan wants to hold and a place that God wants to regain. <clears throat> he must be not just the God of the heavens. He must also be the God of the earth. Amen. How excellent, Lord, is your name Amen. in all the earth. In the heaven, he has no problem. The problem is today is with the earth. And God's desire, God's purpose is with this earth where he wants to bring in his kingdom to manifest himself. So as the man, we need to exercise God's authority to regain this earth for God. Then point C, God's intention in giving man authority is for him to exercise God's authority over the earth in order that the kingdom of God may come to the earth, the will of God may be done on the earth, and the glory of God may be manifested on the earth. <clears throat> this is the third aspect of man giving, given God <coughs> God's dominion, to bring in God's kingdom, bring in God's glory to this earth. God needs man to do this. Okay, now we come to this final section, number four. Shall we all read this together? Number four. Number four. <clears throat> Amen. He says, the Bible reveals that the one new man is not an individual, but a corporate universal man. The one new man is a corporate God-man. The first God-man, the firstborn son of God, is the head of this corporate God-man, the new man. The many God-men, the many sons of God, are the body of this corporate God-man, the new man. So Christ is the head. The church is the body, and together we constitute this universal one new man. <clears throat> we, the believers in Christ, are all one with Christ to be the new man. We all are part of the one new man. No one of us can say, I am the one new man. No. The one new man is a corporate person, comprised of all of us. We all are a part of this one new man. There are many believers and many local churches, but there is only one new man <clears throat> in the universe. All the believers are components of this one corporate and universal new man. The one new man is a warrior fighting against God's enemy. The warrior is not a status of the church, but an aspect of the church as the new man. The church as the corporate new man is the warrior, 
and the believers together make up this new man. We must fight the spiritual warfare, not individually, but in the body, in the one new man. Saints, I hope by through this message, we have a view, have a sense of where we are today. We are living in a very golden time as far as God's move and his economy is concerned. <clears throat> I think we are living in the days that the apostles, even the apostles, the early apostles did not see. We are living in so privileged to be in the Lord's recovery today. Amen. Having all those uh, <clears throat> major problems pretty much cleared and we are brought into such enlightenment of the truths the present speaking, the intrinsic truth that the Lord is speaking to us, and uh, the precious practice of our blending together with one another, that brings us to this unprecedented time in the last 6,000 years of human history, that there is a possibility for the one new man to be manifested, Amen. to come forth practically in our days. Oh, let us be one with him. Right? May this vision control us, even direct us, even how we live the church life, how we live our Christian life. It is so that God may gain what he intended in Genesis 1. He created that man, that man, a corporate man, exactly the same as he is. And that's what we are becoming. We are that corporate new man who, are ex- who is exactly the same as God is to express him and to rule for him. Amen. Amen. So, brothers, yeah.